number 62. Now, the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Amen. For a few moments tonight, I would like to speak on this subject. After this, after this, after three days, I will rise again, is what Jesus said. And they said that that deceiver has said this after this. Lord, we thank you and praise you tonight. We worship you and we ask for your ability and your strength in the house of God. We worship you and thank you for your presence that we have felt in this place tonight, which is exactly what we need. And we acknowledge that and give thanks for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. There is a, in this passage of scripture, there is a certain nervousness on the part of the Pharisees about what happened after the death of Jesus. They acknowledged that he said some things. <clears throat> they were concerned about those things and what he stated specifically. And so they were coming to Pilate to make sure that they were secure in their feelings. Um, I'm interested tonight in why they were nervous they were nervous. Was it because they were nervous about what he had said before that he actually did? And this was the reason for their concern. Jesus made some statements and he followed through on those statements. Were they nervous because during a procession of the village of Nain, there happened to be a widow who was bringing her son who had died out of that funeral procession. Jesus steps into the procession in the middle of the procession, and he tells the young man, the widow from Nain, he tells her son to arise, and from that funeral procession, an individual, a young man that was dead in the middle of the procession gets up and arises. Jesus said he was going to bring him to life, and he brought him to life. What he said was what he did. He said, I'm going to feed 5,000 with what you have, five fish and five loaves of bread and two fish. I'm going to feed the 5,000. 
doubters may have said this is an impossibility. But when Jesus says it's going to be done, you can rest assured that it is going to be done. Was this why they were nervous about what Jesus said? Were they nervous that Jesus healed a paralyzed man that was lowered through a roof? And when he comes before Jesus, Jesus says to him, first of all, your sins are forgiven you. And then second of all, take up your bed and walk. Were they nervous because Jesus said you can take your bed up and you can walk with it? What he says, he follows through with it. He not only states it, but he puts it into action. It would have been real interesting if Jesus would have commanded them to feed the 5,000, but they couldn't have done it, and it wasn't done. But it was done because he commanded it. It would have been real interesting if the man would have tried to get off of the bed that he was on, but he couldn't walk and he had no ability. But when Jesus says something, there's a power and an authority that is associated to what he says. The man takes up his bed on the Sabbath day, and he walks away not only healed of his paralysis, but he also walks away saved from his sins. When Jesus speaks something, he follows through with it. Was this the reason why they were nervous about him saying, you can put me in a tomb, but in three days, I'm going to arise. Were they nervous because they gathered together on boats and out in the midst of the middle of the Sea of Galilee, that lake, when there is turmoil and the elements pick up and things start to look very bad for those who are on board, Jesus steps out on the bow of that boat and he says, peace, be still. It would have been very interesting if he would have said, peace, be still, and nothing would have happened. But when Jesus said, peace, be still, the elements obeyed him. When Jesus said something, it was followed by a, an action. It was followed by an accomplishment. Something happened, and this must have been the reason why they were nervous because they said, this, this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. I'm thankful tonight to know that when Jesus put something into action, you can rest assured that something is going to happen. The woman with the issue of blood didn't walk away with the same issue of blood, but she walked away healed from her predicament. The man, the blind man named Bartimaeus that shouted, Thou son of David, have mercy on me, didn't walk away blind, but he walked away with his sight. Because when Jesus says something, there is something that is going to be accomplished. It's going to take place. It's going to happen. Amen. In this passage of scripture, they were nervous. We need to make sure that there is a watch. We need to make sure that there is a closing of the sepulcher. And they were nervous 
about what Jesus said. And my sneaky suspicion here tonight is they were nervous because everything that Jesus said he was going to do, he did. And if they represent the incarnation of evil, and if that is the devil, the devil knows that when Jesus responds to situations, that he's going to follow through on those situations. If God's spoken something into your spirit, the devil knows absolutely that God is true to his word. He'll try to persuade you, move you off of your faith, but you need to rise up and say, I am trusting the word of the Lord. I'm trusting the voice of God. I'm not listening to the accuser of the brethren. I'm not listening to Satan. I'm not listening to the devil. I'm going to trust God in the midst of everything because I know when God speaks something, there is going to be an action connected. Never did he say something that didn't happen. Never did he project something that came back void. Whenever Jesus spoke it, there was power that was connected to it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I guess I would be worried as well, except a deceiver doesn't come through on his promises. That's the whole point of the deception, right? It's to produce something that isn't real, that looks like an illusion, that in fact is a lie. Jesus never lied about anything because he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Amen. Jesus said, I'm not presenting you smoke and mirrors and an illusion. I'm presenting you what is true. It's the devil that produces a lie and an illusion. It's a devil that deceives and builds some things up and makes it look real good. But the reality of what it is is a deception and it is a lie and it is an illusion and people get caught up in that manipulation. Praise God, but in the house of God tonight, hallelujah, Jesus has presented to us the truth of the matter. You can rest in him because it's a sure foundation. The rug won't be ripped off uh, from underneath you because God is true to what he says. It's not a lie. It's not a deception. It's not manipulation, but it is a power. He brings healing. He brings peace. He brings anointing. He brings salvation. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. Hallelujah. Come on. Did Jesus and has Jesus ever come through for you? Hallelujah. Has he ever come through from you for you? At the right moment, at the right time, when you needed a breakthrough, here came your breakthrough, your anointing, and the touch of God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. There are moments in Jesus' ministry that he walked away from some things unscathed. There were those that tried to mark him. Mark him. Mark him. And he walked away unscathed. Unscathed. After the feeding of the 5,000, they tried to mark him. John chapter 6 and verse 15. The scripture tells us that when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force, to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. I don't know how he did that, but apparently and evidently, 
he was able to maneuver out of their presence when they were wanting to force him to become king. He walked away from that occurrence unscathed. They tried to put their hands on him. They tried to, they tried to control him and they tried to predict what he was going to do. But he was able, says here, he was able to make his way out of their press and out of their control. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, that the devil tried to mark him in the wilderness. And there were, there were times when Jesus walked away from occurrences, when people tried to mark him, devil tried to mark him, and he was able to walk away unscathed. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 11, Jesus was led of the spirit into the wilderness. Mark says that he was driven into the wilderness and he was tempted. He was tempted. The enemy was trying to mark him by bringing temptation to him at his lowest point. It seems like that's when, when the devil always comes around, right? <laughs> he, he comes at you when you are at your most vulnerable and you are at your weakest. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted. He was hungry. The devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be made into bread. And Jesus responded and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Amen. You're not going to mark me. <laughs> You're not going to put a mark on me. He walks away from that first temptation unscathed. Then the devil takes him to the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, that southeastern corner of the temple. And he says, throw yourself off and let the angels bear you up because the word of God says that the angels will bear thee up lest at any time you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus responded by saying, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He tried to mark him a second time. But Jesus works through the temptation and he is unscathed. The devil takes him to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of those kingdoms and says, I will give all of these kingdoms to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, it is written. First of all, he says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. He walks away from three temptations, unscathed and unmarked. There was no way the enemy could put his hand upon him. The people couldn't force him and control him to do what he didn't want to do. And he walked away without any marks. He walked away unscathed. However, however, his passion, his passion would not leave him unscathed. There is no way you go through the road of Calvary. And you come out on the other side with no marks and unscathed. Scripture said that he was beaten. He was pierced. 
He was marred. Isaiah said he was marred to the point that he was disfigured and individuals would not recognize him. He was scarred through that process. John chapter 20 and verse 27, when Thomas doubted and Jesus appeared before him, he said, Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. There were some scars on his hands and on his feet and in his side. He didn't go through Calvary and the cross unscathed, but he went through marked. I'm very, very thankful that he bears the mark on his body because what he did was for me and what he did was for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If it hadn't been for his blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. If it wasn't for his blood that was shed at Calvary, we wouldn't be washed and we wouldn't be cleansed. But in the house of God tonight, his blood is still effective and it's still powerful to cover every sin and wash and cleanse every sin no matter what you've gone through. God's a God that was able to conquer death, hell, and the grave and give his very life as the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world so that we could lift our hands in thanksgiving and say there was no sacrifice, no lamb, no bull, no goat, no turtle dove that could ever satisfy the sacrifice that was required. But there came one by the name of Jesus Christ that was the Lamb of God that poured out his blood on Calvary and gave to me. Hallelujah. But let's get into the meat of the message here tonight. We read that they were concerned about what he said. He's in the tomb. But in Acts chapter 1 and the beginning of Acts, verse number 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. Watch this. After that, everyone say after that. After this. He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. There is something that happened after the cross. They tried to put him in the tomb. They put a watch and those Pharisees said, we want to make sure that he stays here because he said after three days he's going to arise. Well, ladies and gentlemen, he arose on the other side of the cross and after this, he bore the marks in his body. He didn't come away unscathed through Calvary. But after Calvary, there is more of the story that takes place. After this, what's after Calvary? Victory. Because he shows there is victory in his ability to conquer death, hell, and the grave and provide to us eternal life. What's after this? Salvation. Peter stands up and begins to preach on the inaugural.
inaugural day of the church and he says repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost you gotta repent you gotta be baptized in Jesus name and you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost after this after Calvary after he comes through with marks on his body scarred there's still victory and there's still salvation and there's still the church and there's still the mission of God there's still a work that is to be done there's a church that's going to ta have an impact on the world there's a message and a mission that is going to go forth throughout the world even though there are scars after this there's going to be victory even though he's been marked in his body after this there's still going to be power that flows preaching to you tonight that no matter where you are in the middle of what you're in, you may come out of what you're in scarred, feeling like you've been marked, but there is an after this. There's an after this if you don't give up. There's an after this if you don't give in. There's an after this if you don't walk away. Jesus didn't walk away from us, but after this, after this, the disciples said it's over. But after this, he came out of the grave and said there's still more to come, still more power, still more hope, still more promise. I may be marked, but after this, I'm not going to die. I may be defeated, but after this, there's something coming. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to waste away, but I'm coming forth with infallible proofs speaking about the kingdom of God. I'm coming through my difficulty after this. I'm coming through my pain and my struggle after this. Oh, I wish I had somebody in here that knows exactly what I'm talking about because you feel like you've been strung up on Calvary. Hallelujah. You feel like you've been putting in a tomb and in a grave. But believe me, there's an after this. I said there's, there's an after this. God's still working. God's still moving. Don't give up. Don't die. Don't be defeated. Don't give in. Don't waste away. But trust God in the midst of everything that you are going through. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. I know this is Bible study tonight, but I feel a preach coming on in here. I know you feel like that it's completely over and, and, and there's nothing worth it and you might as well give in. I'm preaching to you. I'm telling you there is another side. There's an after this. Jesus came through with scars in his body but there was power resurrection power I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody, somebody just, just start praying right now. God, I thank you and praise you. There's people in this congregation that feels like you're in the middle of the marring and the scarring. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I want you to hear me tonight. You just keep trusting God because God's got an after this promise. And his promise is bigger than where you are right now. His mission is bigger than where you are right now. 
I'm prophesying to somebody. I'm prophesying to somebody. I'm stepping out in faith tonight. I'm telling you, if you don't give up and you walk through the process, after this, there's something greater. Praise God. I want you to think about, in conclusion, Job. Well, the plight of Job is a wealthy man living in the land of Uz, has a large family and extensive flocks. He's blameless, he's upright, he's a man of God, he's careful that he doesn't get caught up in evil, and one day the adversary comes before God, and God boasts to Satan about Job and Job's goodness. And Satan argues that he's only good because you have blessed him abundantly. <laughs> Isn't that like the devil? The only reason they're serving you is because you've blessed them. Praise God, I hope something rises up in each and every one of us that says, it doesn't matter what I have, I'm still serving a God that is great. Mm. He said, if you give me per permission to punish Job, he'll curse you. And so God allows Satan to torment Job. And in the course of all that Job starts to go through, he receives four messages bearing separate news that his livestock, his servants, his ten children have all died due to marauding invaders or natural catastrophes. You're talking about an individual that is going through difficulties <clears throat> in his life. And then his body is afflicted with horrible, horrible skin sores. His wife that doesn't know what to do that is also traumatized by the entire circumstance and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? This is, this is so horrific and so bad. And Job, in the midst of trying to struggle to accept his circumstances, receives three of his closest friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And his friends come to visit him, and they sit there for seven days in complete silence in respect for his mourning watching him in his predicament and his sores. Job begins to speak to them, and they start sharing some of their, their thoughts with him. Eliphaz says, Job, you comforted other people, but now the reason why you're going through what you're going through is you were really never interested in their plight and their pain. And so your agony is because of there's some sin that you've committed. And you need to seek God's favor. Bildad and Zophar agree that Job has committed some evil to offend God's justice. And they said, you need to exhibit more blameless behavior. Bildad surmises that Job's sons and daughters died because of something that they did. They brought their deaths upon themselves. And even worse, Zophar implies that whatever wrong Job had done probably deserved greater punishment than what he's receiving presently. Job, sitting there in these circumstances, looking at this kind of instruction, throws up his hands and calls his friends worthless physicians who whitewash their advice with lies. 
He's at a loss of where he is. He's trying to figure out what is man's relationship with God. And why does God judge people by their actions if he can easily alter or forgive their behavior? He, 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 he is in the process of the scarring, his body physically, no doubt when he comes through all of this, he's going to bear the marks on his body of situations in his life that are taking place. At one point, he wishes that he would just go to Sheol, the place of the dead. And then there is a young man that appears by the name of Elihu that believes that Job has spent too much time trying to vindicate himself before God. And he said, God operates in two ways, by visions and physical pain. And Job, you're going through this physical pain so that he can, he can teach you and help you to understand uh, who he really is. And he assumes that Job must be wicked to be suffering as he is. And he thinks that Job's excessive talking is an act of rebellion against God. And somehow in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this, God speaks out of the whirlwind and demands that Job be brave and respond to his questions. And he starts asking questions that no man can answer. Were you, were you there in the beginning when I created all things, Job? These are, these are things that are so weighty, that, that exhibits that God is infinite and we as humanity are finite. And there's a big, big, big gap between who we are and what God is. And a big gap between what we think is going on and what God is doing. And Job, when he sees all of this, he recognizes the power and the ability of God and he's overwhelmed in this encounter and he acknowledges that God is a God that has unlimited power and he admits that the limitations of his own human knowledge I, I don't have the ability to understand everything but ultimately he comes to this conclusion I may not understand everything but God I know that you are you're great and you're still worthy to be praised and I may not have it all figured out but I'm still going to trust in you and he held to his integrity he held to his his ability. He said, though these worms slay me, naked came I into the world. Naked am I going out of this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but I'm still going to be praising his name. I may not understand it all. I may be limited in my own thinking, but I know that God's a sovereign God. There's no way you go through a situation like that unscathed. Hmm. Job is marked physically. Horrible skin sores, these boils on his body that no doubt leave a mark psychologically. All the questions that go through his mind when he loses everything psychologically, there's an impact. Mentally, there's an impact. Emotionally, you don't go through something like Job went through and not come out unscathed emotionally. Spiritually, he's trying to grasp and find answers. Relationally, he doesn't walk away from this experience unscathed. No, 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 no. Praise God. I, I feel a weightiness in this place. And anybody know what I'm talking about? There are some things that take place and happen in your life. 
that are going to scar you and they're going to mar you. You're not going to walk away unscathed, but the message tonight is after this, you keep trusting in God. After this, what happened? The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had seven sons and three daughters. And in all the land, there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, after this, won't you say that with me? After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations, God extended his life. There was blessing. Oh, he came out on the other side, all right, but he came out, he came out a different man. He came out not unscathed, but he came out marked with the things on his body that testified of the difficulties that he went through. But after this, there was blessing of God. And the hand of God was upon his life. And there were infallible proofs of God's goodness in his life. We stand together in the house of God tonight. There may be some things that you go through. You may be right in the middle of what I'm talking about tonight. We, we, we as a nation are right in the middle of this. Everybody's so keyed up in anger and hate. Disunity, fragmentation, and I believe that there is a work of the enemy trying to make it seem like we're really disunified and there is a, a broad gap. But every once in a while, you'll see things that crop up of people coming together, working together, unifying together. After this, we're going to come out of this. And after this, what's going to take place? If I walk away, give in, step back, acquiesce, there wouldn't be what was sung here tonight, a reviving. I hear the sound of revival rain. What's going to come out of, of what we're in right now? After this, what's coming? Revival's coming. That's what I believe. I believe revivals. I believe that there are people that are going to come out of what they're in disoriented and saying there's got to be something that is greater. There's an emptiness in my soul. We're not coming through this unscathed. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me as your pastor know this. We're not coming out of this unscathed. The enemy has been at work. Disunity has been at work. Fragmentation has been at work. Homes have been under attack. There's situations and circumstances breaking apart. But I'm still going to hold on to the hope that after this, after this, after this, God, you're going to do something. We may come out different than when we entered into this. Can you believe? that just a few months ago we didn't even see any of this coming and we've been going through all the anxiety all the pressure all the depression all the stress but after this God there's got to be something that is greater that comes after this there's going to be infallible proofs there's going to be people that receive the Holy Ghost there's going to be people that are baptized in a name that is above every name there's going to be altars of repentance and people are going to find the satisfaction that they've been looking for 
after this. Amen, after this. God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And on the other side of that, Pharisees said, put him in a grave because he said he's coming up in three days. And we don't want that to happen. But Jesus, when he says something, he always follows through with it. And he comes out of a grave. He's marked. His body has been scathed, but he comes forth with resurrection power. Hallelujah, resurrection power. And tonight, the same resurrection power is in this place tonight. If you're going through something in this place tonight, you need to hang on to what I'm preaching after this, Lord. After this, no matter what my fears are, no matter what my doubts are, when our backs were against the wall.